Welcome, welcome, welcome into Moments of Genius here on CMRU.ca by students for you. My name is Peter Roman, and this is episode three of the winter semester edition of the quarantine edition of my show. So today I have little bit of hockey stuff I want to talk about with a little North Division update. I also want to talk a little bit about the soccer January transfer window that just came to a close, going through some of the signings that happened and one of them that didn't happen, or at least that I thought might have happened and didn't. And so going to talk about those two things, but I'm going to start today with my lead segment, which I teased last week because of course it is. It's the Super Bowl preview. So we are upon Super Bowl weekend this weekend. Super Bowl goes on Sunday, 4.30 Mountain Time. I know usually a lot of the TV broadcasts say that, you know, the game starts at 4, but the first half an hour is always like the coin toss and the national anthem. They don't actually play any football. So the actual game, 4.30, Super Bowl Sunday this weekend. So excited. And so gonna do a little bit of a preview and what you need to know about the Super Bowl game taking place this Sunday very excited so the first thing for those of you maybe not as familiar with football the weekend is the halftime show so if you're a fan of theirs that's a big bonus so the weekend will be the halftime performance the Super Bowl itself takes place in Tampa Bay this year and that is notable because for the first time ever, we have a home team at the Super Bowl as the Tampa Bay Buccaneers will be the hosts to the Kansas City Chiefs in this Super Bowl game. There will, as far as the COVID situation, there will be 25,000 people in the stadium. 7,500 of the 25,000 that are gonna be let in are going to be vaccinated healthcare workers who've been given free tickets by the NFL. So that part is good. Not so sure how I feel about 25,000 people being led in the stadium, but the United States has a more laxed attitude towards the pandemic. But nonetheless, it's not a full stadium, not at all. So something to keep in mind. But the Super Bowl this year, Obviously, we'll have the biggest age gap between starting quarterbacks ever, and that record probably won't be broken for, I would imagine, most of my lifetime, if not longer, because Tom Brady on one side is 43 years old, and I'm not sure if we're ever going to get a 43-year-old quarterback in the Super Bowl again, but I guess we'll find out. Uh, only time will tell on that one. Kansas City, meanwhile, is the defending champion. They won the Super Bowl last year against the San Francisco 49ers. So they're the reigning champs. Tampa Bay hasn't been in the Super Bowl since 2002, but they're not lacking. They're not exactly lacking for players who have big game experience, to say the least, considering this is going to be Tom Brady's 10th Super Bowl game. Patrick Mahomes, meanwhile, the starting quarterback for Kansas City, He's actually undefeated in every single playoff game he's played, except one. The only game he actually lost was the AFC Championship game two years ago to, oh, damn, it was that Tom Brady guy uh, in New England. So Brady just has a habit of being in these big games pretty much all the time. 
And so, interesting little storyline. Patrick Mahomes, perfect in every playoff game, but his only loss came to Brady two years ago. So a little chance for revenge. So the way I'm going to do my little preview here of the Super Bowl, those are just some quick notes. I'm going to do kind of a back and forth thing. So I'm going to be basically going over some of the players, some of the numbers to keep in mind about the game. And it's going to be why the Chiefs will win. And then I'll go to why the Bucks will win. Kind of a back and forth counter argument type of preview. So unless otherwise stated, all these stats and numbers come from NFL.com. So the Kansas City Chiefs will win because Tyreek Hill is a monster. Hill had 172 yards receiving in the AFC Championship game last weekend against Buffalo, and he had 269 receiving yards against Tampa Bay last time they played, which was back in Week 12. So Tyreek Hill, I mean, he is ridiculously fast. This guy is easily the fastest player in the NFL, no matter what Scotty Miller says on the other sideline. And so... Tampa will need to do better than what they did last time to try and stop this guy who is pretty unstoppable on most days. But he's a big, big name to keep an eye on. The Tampa Bay Buccaneers will win because Kansas City had the 11th ranked offensive line, according to Pro Football Focus. But they lost their starting left tackle, Eric Fisher, to an Achilles injury, which first of all, I wish Eric Fisher a super speedy recovery because injuries like that are awful. But more importantly, as far as the game is concerned, Tampa Bay's pass rush did really well against Green Bay. Green Bay had the second ranked offensive line in the entire regular season, according to PFF. And so if Tampa Bay was able to dominate the Green Bay offensive line that's better than Kansas City's offensive line, who just lost one of their most important pieces last game, might, might not be the funnest performance for Patrick Mahomes in the pocket. But we'll find out. The Kansas City Chiefs will win because Travis Kelsey is the best tight end in football right now. He had 188 receiving yards and two touchdowns against Buffalo. He's also just been ridiculously good in the playoffs so far in his career. The Tampa Bay Buccaneers will win, though, because they had the number one ranked defense against the run this season. And that's something that will make it difficult to be balanced if you're Kansas City, if you struggle to run the football against a defense that's gotten Vita Vea back. And this number is pretty crazy. When Vea is in the lineup for Tampa Bay this season, they've only given up 60 yards rushing per game. Insane. Crazy. The Kansas City Chiefs will win because Patrick Mahomes is the best quarterback in football right now. He also had a 124.7 passer rating last time he played Tampa Bay. Pretty simple to explain why that's a good reason. But the Tampa Bay Buccaneers will win because they actually had the... They were tied for 7th place in the NFL for interceptions. So their pass defense might not be spectacular, but they are very good at taking advantage of opportunities when they're given them. 
the Kansas City Chiefs will win because they have the 10th overall ranked pass defense in the regular season. And I don't think that gets talked about enough. Their secondary has played really, really well throughout the year, even though they don't have, outside of Tyron Matthew, of course, they don't have the biggest names on that side of the field. The Tampa Bay Buccaneers will win because they actually had the third ranked offense as far as points per game. And large reason for that is because they have Mike Evans, Chris Godwin, and likely Antonio Brown in this game. And so that Chiefs secondary, they'll have their hands full all game long. The Kansas City Chiefs will win because Chris Jones and Frank Clark are problems. Those two pass rushers have been exceptional over the last few seasons. Chris Jones in particular ranked third in the NFL in QB pressures by defensive tackles. The Tampa Bay Buccaneers will win though because their offensive line gave up the fourth fewest sacks in the NFL this season. And so they'll have to keep Chris Jones and Frank Clark out of Tom Brady's face. And my last two. The Kansas City Chiefs will win because they actually had the fifth most kickoff yard, uh, kickoff return yards, I should say, in the NFL. Tampa Bay, meanwhile, actually gave up the most yards in the NFL on kick returns. So if there is one place where maybe there's a little bit of an X factor, maybe look at either Byron Pringle or McCole Hardman on the Kansas City side, whoever is returning kicks. The two of them tend to split those those carries and finally the Tampa Bay Buccaneers will win because Tom Brady is their quarterback Brady has six Super Bowl rings which is the most ever in the NFL and in each Super Bowl game that he has won he has led a game-winning drive in the fourth quarter or or overtime pretty crazy just yeah Brady's when you dive into Tom Brady's numbers, they're pretty insane, to be honest. But those are my little, that's my little list. Reasons why the Chiefs will win. Reasons why the Bucks will win. Should be a very exciting game. One final thing I'll mention is just that even though Tampa Bay is the home team, technically they're going to be wearing the white away jerseys. And the reason for that is just because Tom Brady is 4-1 and one in Super Bowls when he wears white jerseys. The only game they lost was actually to my team, the Eagles. And for Kansas City, they wore the Reds last year when they won the Super Bowl, so I think they're more than fine wearing the Reds once again. Should be an exciting game. So excited for Super Bowl Sunday. So, yeah, can't cannot wait. Next week, obviously, you know, a lot of time will be devoted to that Super Bowl game. It's, it really is one of the, I think, most exciting matchups from a neutral perspective. And I get that Tom Brady, there's a lot of people that don't like him, but that's, I don't know. The jealousy of Brady to me is a little silly because we're watching somebody achieve something that might not ever be done or replicated again in this sport because what he's done is nothing short of exceptional this year. So anyway... I look forward to watching two great teams, two great quarterbacks, two great stories on Sunday. All right, on to the soccer stuff. So the January transfer window has now closed. 
in the world of soccer and so I thought I would look back on the transfer window and just give a few notes about some of the more notable stuff that happened. January usually isn't the time for big money transfers but you do occasionally get some teams who decide to make some moves. So I'll start with the big team in England who made some signings finally. Liverpool. Took them a while but the injury to the season ending injury, I should say, to Joel Matip forced Liverpool's hand and they signed two center backs. So the first one is they signed Ben Davies from Preston in the championship. And so it's not ideal, right? You know, you're signing a player from the championship and he's being brought up into the Premier League, likely to start a lot for Liverpool. But it was only two million pounds as a transfer fee which is really small and liverpool just needed center backs with matip out for the season van dyke out for the season joe gomez out for the season they need cover badly so i don't blame liverpool for getting a cheap fill-in option i'm not sure if ben davies is going to move the needle but the reality is there weren't top there weren't top level center backs that were available type of thing the other center back they did sign, though, was Ozan Kabak from Schalke. He's actually there on loan with an option to buy. And so that one's kind of a nice little low-risk signing where they get to see Kabak for the rest of the season. And if he works, great. You can sign him permanently. But if he doesn't work, it's just a loan deal, so it's not a big... So it's not a big deal whatsoever, but I, I think it's good. Liverpool got a couple of center backs, you know, they probably, like, obviously, okay, when you lose Van Dyke, when you lose Gomez, right, those are the guys who are going to start most of the season, it's really tough, Van Dyke is the best center back on the planet, like, there's no replacement for him, but Liverpool is still in the title race, they are in the Champions League um, round of 16, excuse me, and so they're still in it, they still have a chance to win trophies this year. And they needed center back options because Jordan Henderson, love the guy, he's not a center back. He's a midfielder. And when he gets taken out of midfield, Liverpool actually get a lot worse. So really, I'm going to give Liverpool a very positive B plus for finally doing what they needed to do this transfer window, signing cover defenders. The next uh, team I want to talk about here is Arsenal. And, well, usually when I talk about Arsenal on this show, it's not for good reasons. And, sadly, I wish I could say things... I, I wish I could say something otherwise, but that's not the case here. So, Arsenal made two... Well, they weren't signings, but they were free transfers. Not for the team, but, like, they sent out two free players. So, the first one was Mustafi. Now, this has to be looked at as a horrible failure of Arsenal because they actually signed Mustafi for £35 million back in 2016. And now he's being let go for free to Schalke. So Schalke get a replacement for Kabaku. They lose to Liverpool. And Arsenal lose a player that was not very good. But, you know, the fact that they couldn't even get a penny for a transfer fee, not great. And then the other thing they did, Mesut Ozil finally was let go. 
And so this whole thing, the Ozil thing has been a giant boulder on the Arsenal franchise because Mesut Ozil basically hasn't played all year for Arsenal because he's in like the doghouse of Mikel Arteta and he didn't like Ozil didn't really want to go somewhere else he finally agreed to go to Fernabache but it was a free transfer and basically the reason it's free is because of the massive wage contract that Arsenal signed him to and he just never ever lived up to that salary increase he got and this is a player I like Ozil he's a very good player he's also a very specific player though where he's the type of guy that if you have the right system and you have the right formation he is an incredible passer and has incredible just overall vision in the final third like if you had to pick a player in the entire world to give the ball to to make a pass to set up a goal Ozil is probably what your fifth sixth choice in the whole planet for that like he is exceptional at what he does the problems with Ozil tend to be he doesn't give you a lot of defensive cover, but he's never really done that in his entire career. And he's not really that flexible positioning-wise. And I realize he played a little bit of right wing for Germany, but that German national team was super stacked and could make up for the fact that Ozil played on the wing. Um, but this current version of Ozil, he kind of has to play that center attacking midfield number 10 role. But if he does, and if he's surrounded by the right pieces... He's still a good player. So I think Fernabache did re really well here. I don't love it for Arsenal, but I mean, they basically kind of had to offload that wage to get more money freed up. But anyway, Ozil is out of Arsenal. Mustafi is out. They didn't get a penny for either guy. So that is upsetting. The other semi-notable move that was made in the January transfer window, Mario Mandzukic went to AC Milan in Italy. And so Mandzukic had been a free agent for a little while. He was kind of waiting and seeing where he would go type of thing. And Mandzukic finds himself with Milan, who are currently first place in Serie A. They have 46 points and are two points ahead of Inter Milan right now in a very exciting Serie A title race, which I will say has been fun to keep track of. But Mandzukic, he doesn't really move the needle a lot. At this point in his career, he's not the player he was maybe a few seasons ago. But this is still a solid player who can contribute. He can come off the bench. And I like getting a cheap depth player for Milan because they're going to need him here down the stretch because they need every point they can get in this Serie A title race. And the final thing I wanted to talk about was something that didn't happen. In the January transfer window, which I thought was interesting, it was the Lionel Messi thing. Because Messi has six months left on his contract. And so the way soccer works is that when you have six months left on your contract, and I believe you need to be over the age of 21, but um, but I need to look that up specifically. But I, if you have six months left on your deal and you're above a certain age, you can actually negotiate with other teams six months in advance and then join the team on a free when your contract expires. So Messi 
could have negotiated a contract with any team he wanted. You know, probably Man City. But he didn't sign a pre-contract. Which means Messi's contract is still set to expire at the end of the season. But he hasn't agreed to go somewhere else yet. And what that means is... It doesn't mean he's not going to leave. I still think Messi probably leaves after the season. But I think it leaves the door just marginally open for Barcelona. In the sense that if Barcelona can maybe, I don't know, win the Champions League this year, I don't think they will. But if they, you know, found their way into the Champions League final and maybe won it, maybe Messi stays. If that doesn't happen, it's really hard to see him staying at this point. It's also possible Messi is doing this kind of out of respect for Barcelona, where he's like, okay, I'm not going to sign a pre-contract with another team yet because out of respect to the club, I'm going to give them, you know, everything I have for the last six months of my deal and then move on to my next chapter. So a lot of that's very possible. I just thought that was an interesting storyline of the January transfer window. Okay, on to the final segment, NHL North Division update. The Canadian division is a little further along now. Teams... Calgary's played the fewest amount of games. They've played eight games so far. Vancouver has played the most. They've played 12. And so here's a look at the standings right now. We have a little bit of separation at the top. Toronto is in first place with 15 points, but they have played one more game than Montreal, who has 14 points. So the Canadians have a game in hand and are a point back of first place. Montreal and Toronto, though, at least so far, based on play, they definitely have been the best two teams in this division so far. That's not to say that there's a huge gap between first and second and the rest, but Montreal-Toronto definitely have been just a little bit better than all the other teams so far this season. Vancouver, just really inconsistent. Six wins, six losses. A lot of those wins came against Ottawa, though. So Vancouver, not the best start, but... It's not awful, right? They're still, I think, finding themselves a little bit. And it's, you know, they're not in a bad spot. Not by any means. Winnipeg is currently in fourth place. They have 11 points, but they've played three less games than Vancouver has. Winnipeg has actually looked pretty good so far this season. They still have some defensive concerns, and that is to be expected. But Pierre-Luc Dubois is going to be joining that team here pretty soon. And that'll be a big boost for them. And so Winnipeg, I think, has to be pretty happy with the way their season has started, at least so far. Edmonton, meanwhile, sits in fifth place. They have 10 points, so they're one point back of Winnipeg, but they've played two more games than the Jets have so far. Edmonton, to be honest, I would be concerned. And I'm not saying that as a Flames fan who likes watching the Oilers lose. I'm saying that as someone who notices trends about teams. And for the Oilers... If you watch the bubble playoffs when they lost to Chicago, one of the biggest problems they had in that series was that if Connor McDavid and Leon Dreisaitl didn't like have hat tricks every game, the Oilers lost because their defense and their goaltending could not keep them in games. And for the Oilers this season, when McDavid and Dreisaitl don't produce, it's really hard for them to win. And that's kind of unfair. Like I get it, McDavid and Dreisaitl are amazing. But it's unfair to have those guys be expected to put up insane numbers every single game in order for their team to win. So, 
For the Oilers, the good thing is they have two amazing forwards in Dreisaitl and McDavid. And the good news is they're still right in the thick of things. But they got to fix their issues and they got to fix them fast because the lack of consistency and the over-reliance on two players might come back to hurt them later on. For Calgary, they're in sixth place right now, but like I said, they've played the fewest amount of games, so they've played only eight games so far. They're one point back of Edmonton with three games in hand. Calgary also has been kind of inconsistent to start the season. They've been getting good contributions out of Chris Tanev and Noah Hannafin on defense, which has been a little bit surprising, I think, but Hannafin's looked really good so far to start the year, which is good. Johnny Gaudreau's actually been really good, especially on the power play for Calgary so far this season. Dylan Dubé, love uh, the way he's played so far. I know he kind of got benched this last game, which I thought was a little bit strange, but for the most part, Dubé's been really good this season. And so for Calgary, I think finding more consistency is obviously kind of always the key, but it's it's not even just that. It's like period-to-period intensity in a lot of ways, where, like, Calgary for five-minute stretches can look really dominant and then can look just completely overmatched and on their heels and praying that Markstrom makes a save every time. So, Calgary, again, not a bad position, but, you know, got to figure it out a little bit. And then there's Ottawa. Ottawa, three points so far this season, and... I can't say it's unexpected. This team is just not that good. They're they're lacking a lot of talent. But you know what? Some of Ottawa's good young players have been impressive so far this season. And I think if you're a Sens fan, that's the thing you should take away and be happy with is that they've gotten some good contributions from young players because the team isn't there yet. They're still rebuilding. They weren't going to make the playoffs this year. And so for them, it's about development and development and growth for the young players, for sure. Anyway, that's it. That's all I got for today. I want to thank everybody for listening in. Like I said, next week, Super Bowl. This Sunday is the Super Bowl. Next week, I'll have my Super Bowl review. And to everybody out there, be happy, be healthy, and stay safe.